Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 4. That's where we'll begin. I'm going to pick up where Neil left off last week. Exodus chapter 4. By now we should know that God's plan was to deliver His people. And we should also know by now... Uh, that God never fails to accomplish His plans. Amen? Amen. Uh, you know, I got in a little bit of trouble one time years ago because I, I said that in a, in a meeting. Um, and some people at that meeting took issue with me. I, I said that God always accomplishes His purposes in His people. That God never fails. Uh, and it was argued that day, oh no, not everyone accomplishes God's purpose and plan for their life. And let me just assure you, <laughs> he does. Amen. God accomplishes his purpose and his plans. And though you may think that you are faltering and failing and not having much success, I can assure you that just like with Moses, God is going to succeed. He does not fail. Amen. And of course, in quite the dramatic fashion, speaking from a burning bush that was not consumed, God made it clear to Moses that he would be the means or the man through whom he would bring this deliverance about. And of course, as we saw last week, Moses was a little bit hesitant, was he not? He resisted God's call upon his life. He didn't think that he was the man for the job. And I guess the reality is he, he's, he wasn't. Um, but God uses us, doesn't he? Weak, uh, wicked Sinful, struggling people. He has always done that because it's actually he who is the deliverer, as we have emphasized through this series of messages so far. Uh, Moses would be remembered as the deliverer, uh, but uh, God was the deliverer that used Moses to bring that deliverance about. And of course, uh, as Moses resisted that call, God patiently... Uh, answered his questions, and then assured Moses that every need that he would need, everything that he would need to accomplish the purpose that God had called him to, God was going to provide. And church, we need to understand that as well. There are times, I think, when we look at the, uh, the role of evangelism or, or missions work that God has entrusted to us, and it seems like an impossible task. Beyond our ability, and again, it is beyond our ability, but when God is in it, when God is moving in and through us, he makes all of this possible. So again, Moses would not fail. We will not fail because God does not fail. So let's, let's read together beginning in verse 18 of chapter 4. And I'm going to let you just remain seated this morning. We're going to read all the way down through the end of chapter 5. I want to read all of this as you can see. Uh, we probably won't have time to go into as much detail as we might ordinarily but uh, I'm going to bring out some, some points that I hope will uh, be something you can take home with you today. Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And, Mo and Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. 
And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him. Again, Moses met Moses and sought to put him to death. And then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. And afterward... Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as it is in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle, lazy. Therefore they cried, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them, on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to these lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get yourselves whatever you, wherever Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday and in the past? The foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are lazy. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. 
The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this word from you today, and I pray uh, that you would just help us to understand what's going on here to apply these truths and principles to our own life, Lord. And I pray that we would leave here assured of your presence with us, your power being manifested in and through our lives. I pray, Father, that we would again rejoice together today that your promises are true and that in spite of how it may seem from time to time, Lord, as, as we struggle, as, as things seem to be hard, perhaps even harder than they need to be, Lord, you are always with us. You are always at work in and through us. And as we've already said, you will not fail to accomplish your purposes in and through your people. So help us today, Father. And as always, we pray if there's someone who has never trusted Christ, someone who needs to come to Jesus today in repentance and faith and be saved, Lord, that you will open their eyes to that need. Show them your son. Draw them to yourself, Lord, and save them is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Moses returns uh, to Egypt. You know, the, 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 the years are going by quickly. We know, not from this text, but from others, that Moses is now 80 years old. Uh, so another 40 years has gone by, uh, and uh, yet God is still at work. And what I, I want to just kind of bring to your attention is that from our human perspective, things don't always happen as quickly as we would like them to happen. Uh, and if we're not careful, we can grow impatient. We can even grow impatient enough to the point that we think that God's not moving or not working at all. And you can only imagine what the people of Israel, who were still suffering under the, the bondage of this Egyptian slave driver, uh, must have thought. Uh, 400 years had passed, and uh, things just continued to get more difficult for them. But God was at work, uh, and he was going to deliver them because that's what he had promised to do. And so Moses, as uh, we should have anticipated, returns to the land of Egypt. And what I want you to notice here as we begin this text is that God provides Moses with some resources, all right? Um, Moses, though he must have felt alone at many times throughout the period of his leadership of Israel, was never really alone. Uh, and the reality is the same for us. I think there are times when we feel like we're alone. We may be the only uh, believer in our family or perhaps the only believing family in our neighborhood. We may feel like we're the only Christian in our workplace or in our school, uh, among our classmates. We may, we may feel alone at times. But, but just as it was for Moses, it is for us. God is with us. And, and as we have sung today, he's, he's for us. So we are never truly alone. God always provides for us the things that we need to live for him, to accomplish the purposes that he has given us to accomplish. So 
Moses, of course, after God convinces him at the burning bush that, uh, that he must do this thing, goes back to his father-in-law Jethro, says, let me go back to Egypt, see whether my family or my brothers are still alive. And of course, immediately Jethro says, go, go in peace. Uh, and then the Lord speaks to Moses, of course, as he had been speaking to him, go back to Egypt. All the men that were seeking your life are dead. Right up front, he gives them this word of encouragement. I mean, that's the very reason that Moses fled from Egypt, because he was afraid that his killing of the Egyptian had now become public knowledge, uh, and, and they were going to get him, kill him, and so he fled to Midian. God assures him right up front, all the men that wanted you dead are dead. You can go back and not have to worry about that uh, at all. And so, verse 20 says that Moses took his wife, and his sons, and had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. And then, of course, it says Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So the resources that I want to, to point out to you today that, uh, again, could very easily be overlooked as we think about this great task that God had entrusted to Moses, he immediately says that his wife and his sons went with him. I cannot overemphasize the importance of your family this morning. Again, if you are one of those who feels alone in the sense that perhaps you're the lone believer in your household, uh, it is easy for us to almost come to the place that we might think that our family is holding us back, hindering us from being what God wants us to be. But, but, but the Bible is clear about the teaching of family, the importance of family, and how we are to love uh, our family. Moses is not going back to Egypt alone. His wife and his sons are going with him. And of course, we know also that his brother Aaron is going to go with him. And we learn of their meeting on the mountain of God in just a few verses down the page there. God surrounds Moses with a support system. And what I want you to know today is that whatever it is that God has called you to do, you do not have to do it without the support of a people, the people of God that love you. I've had the occasion over the years to speak with many pastors, and, and there are many pastors who preach in pulpits and serve in churches like this, and let me tell you, they feel all alone. The reality is, as I've said over the years, most of our Southern Baptist churches are very small. Uh, more than 80% of them have less than 100 members in them. And often in those churches, the pastor is a sole staff member. In other words, there is no staff. I've had the, 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 the blessing of being surrounded with other faithful ministers of God here in this church, a, a staff that I can pray with and be encouraged by and, and, and uh, you know, serve alongside of and know that they will serve alongside of me. That's, that's not the case in every church. I know many men who, who serve basically by themselves. Uh, but again, God is faithful and God provides this support that we need. And, and I, I don't want to underemphasize in any way the importance of Moses' wife, his sons, uh, his brother Aaron. Of course, the, the importance of Aaron as the spokesperson for Moses uh, can't be overstated. Uh, but the same thing is true for us. God surrounds us with people who will encourage us. Uh, and we just have to be aware of that uh, and, and, and rejoice in it. And then, of course, he says he took the staff of God in his hand. Now remember, this was the staff that Moses had, the, the shepherd's crook, just a stick, a piece of wood. Uh, but God 
showed Moses that it was much more, or could be much more than that. And so this staff was no, no longer really Moses' staff. It became God's staff, and Moses would carry it with him. And it became and would continue to be for some time a, a representation of the power and the sovereignty of God. Uh, it represented God's presence with Moses. I, I, I only imagine as, as Moses went through the daily chores of accomplishing this purpose, what a comfort it must have been from time to time to kind of grip that staff and think, all right, this is God's staff. God is with me. Uh, we need to do the same thing. And I'm not suggesting that we all carry sticks around with us. <laughs> but we need to know and we need to consciously think about the reality of God being with us and God being for us and, and the power of God that works in and through us. We too have been supplied with this great resource. And so there really isn't anything that we shouldn't be willing to attempt for God. Um, God will see to it that his purposes are accomplished in us through his own power. And of course, Moses had a third thing, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means. Uh, God had, or Moses had the promises of God, right? He had God's word. God had, had spoken to him. And I think sometimes we get this idea, you know, that, that what a fortunate man Moses must have been. I mean, my goodness, I've never heard God speaking from a bush that was being burned, and yet at the same time not being consumed. I mean, if something like that were to happen in my life, well, of course, that would get my attention, and I would be willing to do whatever God called me to do. Let me tell you, you are so much more fortunate than Moses. Moses didn't have this. We have the Word of God. God, God speaks to us all the time. He's speaking to us all the time. We have God's promises, and Moses had God's promise. And of course, God had promised back in chapter 3, verse 17, I will bring you up out of affliction, out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a promise from God. I'm going to bring my people out, and then I'm going to bring them in to the promised land, a beautiful, lavish, luxurious land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, God's people were going to be delivered. God had assured Moses of that. And again, God's purposes and plans are going to be accomplished through you. We just need to embrace that today. God is at work. And God is no less powerful today than he was then. Uh, and his promises are no less true for us than they were for Moses and the encouragement and the comfort that we should sense as we read his word and are encouraged by these, these passages of scripture should motivate us just as the promises of God no doubt motivated Moses. But I also want you to see this promise that God made as he was sending Moses on his way, he told him to take the staff of God in his hand. And he said, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. And you remember the miracles First, Moses was told to throw the staff down and turn into a snake. And then God told him, take it by the tail. You ever taken a snake by the tail? <laughs> Sounds pretty simple when God's telling Moses to do it. Come on, you big baby, take that snake by the, by the tail. <laughs> he did, of course, and it turned back into a staff. 
Then God told him to put his hand in his robe, right? And he pulled his hand out and it was ashen white, leprous. Put your hand back in your robe. And he was cleansed of that leprosy, healed. Um, pour that water out on the ground, it'll become blood. And of course, all of these kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to take place in Egypt as he goes before Pharaoh. And he was to do all of these signs before Pharaoh. But God said, and again, you would think all of these signs, what God used those signs for in Moses' life was to convince Moses, look, this, I'm God. I can do anything, and I can do anything through you. You don't need to be afraid about going back to Egypt. And so he was to do these same miracles before Pharaoh, but then God says to him, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. You're going to go before Pharaoh. I'm going to deliver my people. But initially, Pharaoh's going to say, no. I am going to harden his heart. And I, I don't want you to just overlook that. God's plan was proceeding just as God intended for it to proceed. And God's plan here was not simply to deliver his people. But God's plan was to demonstrate who he was. Uh, to show the world who he is. Uh, and you know what? That's still God's plan today. That's what God's doing through us. He wants the world to see him through us, through the things that we say and do, the way that we live our lives. So I just want to encourage you today. God is at work. He's at work in and through you. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, God is at work in you. God is, is, is accomplishing the purposes that he prepared for you before the very foundation of the world. And what God desires to do is to demonstrate his glory, to be glorified through our lives as we serve him and accomplish his purposes. And we too have been provided with all the resources that we could possibly need, everything to do what God has called us to do, saved us to do. But we need to understand that like Moses, some of those promises are going to say, yeah, trust me, you can do this. It may seem impossible, but it's not impossible. But don't think for a minute that just because I've called you to a particular ministry or a particular place of service, that it's going to be easy. The accomplishment of my plan is going to take time, it's going to take effort. There may be suffering, certainly sacrifice involved. But through it all, God would demonstrate that he was God. And that there really is no other God. So, Moses returns with all of these resources and a host of others uh, to accomplish his purpose. And of course, it initially goes exactly the way we would think. And let me just say this, that strange little paragraph about God seeking to put him to death. Scholars have debated over the years what all of that's supposed to mean. And let me just say this, this is what I think we can take from that. For whatever reason, Moses had not circumcised one of his sons. And what God also wants as a resource to us is our complete obedience. If we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to call others to follow God and to obey Him, then we also need to be a people who obey God. And for whatever reason, Moses had not circumcised his son. Zipporah evidently knew it. So she took a flint and circumcised the boy and made that 
crazy statement about the bridegroom of blood, and I'm not sure what all of that means, but I, I just know this, that Moses had neglected to fully obey the Lord. And that's what takes place in that chapter. He can go to Egypt now in full obedience to God. And we too need to go out and serve God, determined to follow him, completely obedient in every way. So Moses and Aaron go before the people. It, 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 just, it just almost like clockwork. Uh, God sent Aaron to meet Moses on the mountain of God. Aaron kisses him. So there's this wonderful reunion. Moses tells Aaron all the words that God had told him to speak and the signs that God had commanded him to do. And so together they go. They gather all the elders of the people of Israel Aaron did exactly what he was supposed to do. He spoke the words of God that Moses had told him. He performed the miracles before the people that God empowered him to do. And verse 31, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Moses and Aaron received this wonderful reception, this warm welcome. You know, it's a wonderful thing when you go into a place and you, you declare the word of God that you, that you get a, a warm reception. But you know, that doesn't happen all the time. Many people go into places uh, and they share the word of God faithfully, but they don't receive a warm welcome. And you know, for centuries, the world has sought to eliminate the word of God and the people of God for that matter. But here, this initial meeting, everything seems to be going smoothly. I mean, the people of God at this point, they were desperate for deliverance. Desperate for deliverance. Let me just say this too. All of this should get you thinking about our own evangelistic efforts, sharing the gospel. It should make us aware that there are people all around us who, who are enslaved to sin. They, they need the Lord. And they are desperate for salvation. All right. I think sometimes that, that we tend to think more uh, that, that people are kind of like Pharaoh. They're going to resist us. And, and that's the case in many, in, in many you know, encounters sharing the Lord. But people in general are desperate for deliverance. People want to know that they are considered significant. I mean, the nation of Israel had just been, I mean, they, they, they were just slaves. This Pharaoh didn't care anything about them. He didn't even really probably consider them fully human. They were, they were just property. They were just uh, pack mules, animals to serve his purposes. They were desperate for deliverance. They wanted to be persons of significance, not mere slaves. And, and what God does, and he does this back up in our text, he refers to the people of Israel as my firstborn son. And again, this whole concept of the firstborn son uh, the firstborn son in these family, biblical families, they, they, were, they were special. They, they received blessings that other children did not. Uh, so there, there's, again, this supreme sense of significance. What, what could be more significant than being the firstborn son of God? And, and today, still, no greater significance than to be a child of God, and I, and I want to just stop there and ask you to consider that for a moment. If you've been born again, you are a child of God. We're children of the King. We're joint heirs with Jesus. 
We are loved beyond our wildest imagination. John, in the New Testament, asked this question. It's really not a question. It's It's just a statement of astonishment. He says, what manner of love is this that we should be called sons and daughters of God? He was beginning to grasp, as we should, that the greatest significance that can possibly be attained in this life is to simply be a child of God, to serve the Lord faithfully in his house, to sit at his table, to sit at his feet, nothing more significant than that. And of course, the people didn't want merely to be people of significance. They also wanted to experience a, a sense of security. I mean, can you imagine, I mean, what we just read, the, the fear that they must have lived? I mean, they knew that, humanly speaking, the Pharaoh had the power of life and death over them. So they wanted a, a sense of security. And of course, through Moses and Aaron, this is what they had heard, and it's, it's right at the end of chapter 4. It said, they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction. And so they bowed their heads and worshiped. That word visited uh, doesn't mean that God just checked in on them. It speaks of the compassion of God. That God was demonstrating his love, his care, his concern. This was his beloved son, his firstborn son, Israel. They were loved more than they knew, more than they could really comprehend, but they were beginning to understand God had visited them. And not only that, but he had seen their affliction. God knew what they were going through. God knew what they needed. God was moving in their behalf. And again, church, we need to remind ourselves of these truths every day. God knows where we are today. He knows what you need. Far better than you know what you need. He's with us. He's for us. And just like the people of Israel, we too should bow our heads and worship. We should believe with all of our hearts. We should trust in the Lord with everything that we are. So at this point, Moses and Aaron must have been thrilled and greatly relieved at how things were going. I mean, it, it, it couldn't have been any better than this. I mean, up to this point, everything was happening just as the Lord had said. But now it was time to go before the Pharaoh and everything was about to change. Again, the people had believed with relative ease, or so it seems, quickly. Pharaoh would be another story. And here's the thing. Should Moses have been prepared for the way that Pharaoh responded to him? Yeah, he should have been. God had already told him, look, I want you to go before Pharaoh. Here's what you say. Here's what you do. But Moses, I'm going to harden his heart and he's not going to let my people go. So Moses should have been, and there's really no reason for us to believe that he wasn't prepared for that. But all I can imagine is he must have been very, very hopeful at this point. My goodness, things went so well with the people, the elders and the people of Israel. Maybe it'll go that well with Pharaoh. No, God had told him, not going to go that well. 
with Pharaoh. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Again, God's plan through all of this was to demonstrate his superiority to the gods of Egypt, of which Pharaoh believed himself to be one. And that's really the question throughout the entire book of Exodus, the question that is going to be posed or to Pharaoh and that Pharaoh would answer, who is God? And you know what? We need to ask ourselves that question every now and then. Who's God? Who sits on the throne of your life? Who's in control? That was the question being decided here. And you know what? It's the question that we must decide every day. Who's God today? Pharaoh believed that he was God. He believed that the people of God belonged to him. That they were to do as he commanded. And let me tell you, he was determined. He had already resolved in his heart. Don't, don't get the, the impression that somehow God changed an otherwise kind, receptive, benevolent Pharaoh into this hard-hearted enemy of God's people. Pharaoh was already that. When God hardened his heart, he simply strengthened his resolve. Pharaoh was determined to maintain his power and his control. And God simply strengthened the resolve within him in order to demonstrate that he was the one with the true power. That he was the one who was ultimately in control. Uh, and again, God does that in our lives every day, doesn't he? If there's any question about who, who's God, God will show you. He shows us every day. So Moses and Aaron, of course, go before Pharaoh. And they say exactly what God had told them to say. I, I, the, his recitation is what I, what I called it. In other words, Moses didn't go before Pharaoh and make his own case. He didn't stay up late the night before he confronted the, the king of Egypt thinking about what he was going to say and writing out a speech. No, he went before Pharaoh. He had already told Aaron what God had told him to say. And Aaron said exactly what God had told him to say. And church, that's the way we should live our lives. We should know what God's word says. And we should do it. Uh, through Moses and Aaron, God declared to Pharaoh, the people of Israel, the people that you have enslaved, they're my people, not yours. And they are to serve me, not you. Let my people go. That's what Moses and Aaron were to say to Pharaoh. That's what Pharaoh heard. These people, Pharaoh, are not your people, they're my people. And they are not to serve you, they're to serve me. And so let me just ask you this question today. Do you consider yourself one of God's people? Are you serving him? Are you walking every day in the freedom, the liberty that he has provided for you in Christ? God's people should serve God. Not themselves. And again, that, that's, the, that's the key here for us today. Don't start looking around thinking about everybody else or what the church is doing worldwide. Think about yourself today. Put yourself in the place of Pharaoh. Who's God? 
Pharaoh, of course, rejects this request. And it's just incredible. Uh, It's terrifying, really, to read the words that he says here. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? And he wasn't asking because he wanted to know. Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And again, those words, the Lord is the proper name for God. Who's Yahweh? Who does he think he is? Who do you think he is? I don't think he's anybody. I don't know Yahweh. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh rejects the word of God. He rejects Moses and Aaron's request. He openly admits that he is neither a believer nor a follower of God. He doesn't even know who God is. And what we see is that he exhibits all of the characteristics or, or some of the characteristics that are really true of every believer, every unbeliever, pardon me. When he said, I don't know Yahweh, who is the Lord? I, I, I don't know Yahweh. Pharaoh simply admits his ignorance of God's identity. Now, he was not ignorant of the concept of gods. Again, he believed himself to be a god. And church, the world in which we live, although I know that there are many people out there who call themselves atheists, I think they're lying. The vast majority of people would readily readily admit, oh yeah, I I believe there's a God. I mean, don't you know people like that? I know people like that. They'll talk about God. They'll they'll, they'll talk about their belief in God. They may even talk about praying to God. But if you ask them who God is, you know, when I became a deacon at Orchard Hills Baptist Church, I was asked that question on my ordination day. Who is God? Wow, what a question to ask a young fellow. But I had an idea about who God was, and so should you. Pharaoh didn't. He didn't know God. He was ignorant of God's identity. I I don't know Yahweh. He also, because he didn't know who God was, he resisted God's authority. People who don't know God don't obey God. They resist the authority of God. That's what Pharaoh did. He said, I'm not going to obey his voice. Who is he that I should obey his voice? I'm not going to let his people go. And then Pharaoh demonstrated his hostility toward God's people. I don't know God. I don't know who he is. I don't have to submit to his authority. I hate his people. Those characteristics are found in almost every unbeliever to some degree or another. And of course, as our text reveals, what the Pharaoh does is rather than let God's people go, he increases the burden that he's placed on the backs of God's people. He makes it harder for them. He makes them suffer even more. And of course, all of that story about making bricks without straw that had been provided, and yet the quota of bricks was not going to be reduced, not in the least. Pharaoh did that on purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was going to make it impossible for his slaves to do what he had enslaved them to do. And so finally, they've had all they can stand. And look at verse 15 says the foreman of the people of Israel. By the way, the taskmasters or the slave drivers were Egyptians. These foremen 
were Israelites. All right? So these foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh. All right? <laughs> I mean, what a slap in the face to Moses and Aaron, right? Now let me just say this. When you reach the place that your struggle, your, your enslavement, your problems are just beyond your ability to deal with it one more minute, you will never find relief from that slavery by appealing to the thing that enslaves you. I mean, and that's what people do all the time. I just need a little more money. I just need one more pill. I just need to meet the right person. These foremen should have never gone to Pharaoh. Pharaoh wasn't going to give them any relief. And of course he didn't. He told them he wasn't going to. Get back to your work. You're lazy. You're idle. That's why you want to go away and worship your God. You, you, you don't really want to do that. You just want to get out of your work. And he sent them away. And of course, Scripture says that when they came out from his presence, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And look what they said. I mean, they, they, just, they just basically cursed Moses and Aaron. The Lord look on you and judge. In other words, I hope God gives you what you deserve. That's what they said. You got it coming. You've made things so hard on us. Ever since you came here, you've made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You've put a sword in his hand to kill us. These people are blaming the very man, the very men that God had sent to deliver them. I mean, Moses and Aaron had done everything God had commanded. But the people angrily blamed them for their continued misery. And of course, this is a trend that will continue right on through the wilderness years. And that's what often happens. We blame the very people that God sends to help us. Because we don't want that kind of help. We want to we solve our problems ourselves. We want to do it our way. I mean, can you imagine the people of Israel after 400 years in Egypt and for Hundreds of those years as slaves are going to Pharaoh and asking him for help. Verse 22 says, but Moses, he turned to the Lord and said, and listen to this prayer. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a gut-wrenching prayer. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you even send me here? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, we could, on face value there, we could just say, well, shame on you, Moses. But don't do that. Moses, too, was troubled by what was happening. But I want you to notice a couple of differences here, the way Moses handled this and the way the people of Israel handled it. Moses' concern was for God's people. God's people were concerned about themselves. Moses said, oh, Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Since I came to Pharaoh, he's done evil to the people. You've not delivered your people. Moses never mentions himself. His concern is genuinely for the people of God. That's uh, commendable under the circumstances. And, of course, the other thing I want you to notice is that Moses didn't turn to Pharaoh for help. 
He turned to the Lord for help. He knew who was in control. He knew who God was. And that's what God desires from us. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. We forget that sometimes. We need never, must never forget. God not only desires us to come to him for help, he delights in our coming. So I hate to really end there this morning, but that's where we're going to end. And Neil will get to pick up next week with chapter 6. I guess what I would leave you with is this. Moses turned to the Lord. I mean, there had to be a sense of disillusionment. Obviously there was. Disappointment. Obviously there was. But he did the right thing. He turned to God. So again, is there some disappointment in your life today? Have things not gone the way you had hoped or planned or anticipated? In your mind, you've done everything that the Lord has asked of you, and yet things continue to decline or deteriorate. We'll do what Moses did. Turn to the Lord. Cry out to him. He's the only one that can really help you. He's the only one that can give you the assurance that you need that everything's going to be all right. So turn to the Lord, church. All of us, we need to turn to the Lord. What's God doing in our church? When are things going to be the way they used to be? Will they ever be the way they used to be? Is Calvary Hill going to continue on into the next decade or century? Yeah. yeah. Because God's going to see to it that we do. Turn to the Lord. We need to turn to the Lord for those kinds of questions. Whatever the struggle you have, turn to the Lord. And again, as we've already prayed a couple of times today, if your struggle is simply the struggle with sin that every human being faces, if your struggle is that you think you are the God of your life, that you sit on the throne of your life, that you ought to be able to live your life the way you want to and do things your way, then you know what you need? You need to come to Christ this morning and receive Him as Savior and Lord. He'll turn your life around. He'll set you on His path. And he'll provide for you every step of the way.